This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kleinfeld. Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe at Money 2020. This is the third day. So very excited to have with me Andrew Stort of Thrones. Thanks for having me. Thank you too. And Ivan Mariusen from Monite. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So could you please each introduce yourselves? Tell us what you do. Sure, so Andrew Stewart, uh, I run our global network, banking relations and operations at Chuns. Uh, Chuns is a leading cross-border payments infrastructure company, uh, allowing our clients to collect, settle and pay globally. Fantastic, thank you. I'm Ivan, I'm the founder of Monite. Uh, previously built Pantheon in Germany and worked in Silicon Valley before that. What we do is embedded accounts payable and accounts receivable, a really unsexy topic, but really <laughs> helping all those B2B neo banks, FinTech SaaS, et cetera, plug in invoicing and payables for clients. And we're backed by 0.72 Cert Prime, founders of Klarna and Molly and a bunch of other great wow. angels. Um, yeah, late seed stage, uh, 15 customers. Okay, fantastic. So what do you offer companies? Yeah, I think the, the simple way to, offer, as I said earlier, it's collect, settle, and pay. But simply mm -hmm. put, our clients who are typically mm -hmm. banks, money transfer organizations, yes. uh, particularly on the bank side, it's digital neo banks, mm -hmm. money tra transfer organizations, as I said, uh, marketplaces, PSPs, and they mm -hmm. want the ability to offer their customers effectively borderless payments. Um, mm -hmm. and, and really, what we're trying to do is deliver that instantly in right. a very transparent manner. So okay. we offer our clients the ability to pay out in about 130 countries globally. That's um, a lot. It wow. is, and not just to bank accounts. So I think that's where we'll talk right. later, I guess, some of the friction points. Absolutely. But what Tunes is building is an intraoperable uh, ecosystem that allows individuals to send funds to accounts, mm -hmm. but equally send funds to wallets and any other payment instrument uh, that is uh, deemed uh, popular or, or, or demand. And I remember clients. you talking about how you can even support the gig economy on TikTok and stuff like this. Correct, yeah. So we've seen a lot of growth in that area where individuals obviously want to uh, you know, freelance, uh, you know, contract design guys sitting in Pakistan or India working for U.S. companies. They need to get paid. Mm -hmm. And typically they're not, they're not banked. Um, right. And that's where I think uh, yeah. Tune sets ourselves apart from our, from our competitors where we are we connected to all the global wallets. Yep. So these individuals are typically getting lower, lower value transactions mm -hmm. uh, in terms of their payments. Um, as I said earlier, they don't have a bank account, but they've got a mobile wallet. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the incumbents or the traditional banking infrastructure doesn't, doesn't cater them. for them. No, um, absolutely not. And so effectively they're excluded from global payments. And so that's on our mission to, to be a more inclusive payment system 
Sounds and like you are already, yeah. yeah. and creating that interoperable. Uh, and I remember you telling me even a little bit about the influencer payments. I thought that was interesting too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go to you and ask you, who is your typical client? Yeah, so our typical clients would be B2B neobanks, fintech SaaS, or vertical SaaS players. So anyone who serves SMEs, freelancers, all those mm -hmm. small guys. And what we do for them is very simple. So like, if you look at SME market, only 10-15% of all these guys actually use any proper finance tooling, the likes of Build.com, Milio, etc. And then the rest of them are just Excel, Mail, like it's super, super manual. And so we go to platforms they use every day anyways, like be that a POS system, a neobank, or you know, vertical software for barbershops. And we say, look guys, you can be like Build.com, like invoice to go but for your clients yeah. inside your interface. And mm -hmm. we can integrate all of this via API in literally two or three weeks of time. So it's sort of like saying, you as a platform, you can build it for a couple of years, hire specialized teams, spend millions, you can just take our API and go live in a few weeks and become a super app for clients. And talking about the vision, this is exactly what we're trying to pursue, helping all these platforms create super apps for the businesses they already serve. And this is where we see the wave going, where there's more financial inclusion, people get customized experience suited for them. So talking about ideal profile or typical customer, mm -hmm. currently we serve, I would say like smaller to bigger platforms, but still startups. Mm -hmm. So anyone from like a smaller startup to for example, like a larger NIA bank, like Capital and Tab. Mm -hmm. And in the future, we're gonna move to serve also banks, marketplaces and everyone else who typically has a lot of SME clients, but mm -hmm. is not offering value adds today. Very cool. Already from this explanation, I know I'm going to introduce you to someone. So thank you for that. That's great. Thank you. So um, Thuz has been in Money 2020 for many times, yep. but now you're a sponsor. What we you, are. What would you like to get out of it this time, or have you gotten out of it already? Yeah, I think a number of reasons. I think it's to be part of this ecosystem of like-minded individuals, mm -hmm. all with a common goal of, yeah. of really you know, transforming uh, payments or any financial services propositions. Uh, it's obviously an opportunity for Tunes' brand to be synonymous with a change agent. Yes. Um, and, and critically, to meet, meet you know, old friends uh, and make new friends. And, and really, mm -hmm. is to connect with uh, you know, our typical customers, mm -hmm. is to meet banks, uh, meet some of our uh, digital uh, you know, e-wallet providers, money transfer organization, anybody who's mm -hmm. wanting to solve uh, cross-border payment uh, pain points for their clients. Uh, so we, uh, it's, it's a great event uh, and look forward to being uh, part of it for many years to come. And you had actually some interesting activities here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yeah, those? Yeah, a few things. So yeah, it was a great event last night. We hosted uh, mm -hmm. both existing clients, customers, mm -hmm. prospects, which is important to us. Absolutely. Uh, you know, to, to, to sell them the vision uh, mm -hmm. of this frictionless, borderless payments. Um, and we've announced a few uh, key partnerships, and importantly, we've just closed our Series C. Congratulations. Uh, very excited about uh, that, so we've just uh, raised a further 60 million. Uh, led by uh, Marshall yeah. Waste, which is a UK hedge fund, mm -hmm. as well as um, we've got Besson. Um, so that's going to go to accelerating our growth and supporting that mission. Well, sounds wonderful. So what about you? What are you trying to get here at Money 2020? And for the folks who can't be here, what would you um, like to have a call to action to contact you? 
No, absolutely. So I think Money 2020 is a combination of things for us. So I have my head of sales running around and like really <laughs> focusing on new and existing business. My goal here is to talk to key partners and also to investors. I think there is a big mission that we're after and spreading the buzz, spreading the word, keeping people posted on our progress in an efficient way is one of the things I have to do as a CEO. And so having calls with all these VCs, you know, spread out for weeks is a lot harder than just like coming here Absolutely. and having catch-ups and having, you know, a face to a name finally after mm -hmm. all those Zoom calls. And while we're not fundraising, we recently closed a pretty big um, $10 million seed round. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're still in this position where we're trying to spread the word, where we're trying to find like-minded individuals. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to your point, it's actually a lot about connecting with like friends. And every year we come, we know more and more yeah. people. And I think a lot of actual change and impact in fintech happens sort of off the conference floor in those evening events between people you just bond with. Because the message sometimes is right, but to be heard, it needs the right setting. Money 2020 is one of those unique events where you finally get into the setting where you hear each other. And many times we, after the conference, have really good, strong connections with some people. And this gives a push to what was kind of obvious, but wouldn't happen without it. And this is basically my main goal with yeah. the conference. That informal networking capability. And when you see people actually day over day or year after year, it does absolutely bring a better bond and more trust to, to build a relationship. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, just to add, I think it's a great environment to learn. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, absolutely. I think uh, as much as this industry is, is, is small in the sense of it's a, a fairly uh, tight-knit community, the opportunity is large. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think we can learn from each other. So this concept of co cooperation, competition, uh, I, I think we, we all have a common goal. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think there's enough around for us all uh, to be successful. So I think we can learn from each other. And I think this event allows that. So one of the things I think that we'd all like to see is taking away friction and payments. Yeah. So tell me what you think is the biggest friction at the moment. Yeah, I think there's a few things to point. For us, it's around transparency, speed, uh, and cost. Uh, mm -hmm. And so if you think about uh, from a domestic payment perspective, there's a, a significant shift to instant payments. Mm -hmm. So as consumers yes. uh, get used to paying locally in, a, in, a, in an instant yeah. manner, there's an expectation now, if I want to settle someone abroad, I pay a supplier, yes. send money to family and friends, I want yeah. it to be instant. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, historically, the, system, the, the, the incumbents or the existing ecosystem doesn't allow for that. No. So what Chins is doing is, is enabling real-time cross-border payments. That's and, fantastic. And the, one of the reasons we can do it is we've built this incredible ecosystem of over 250 partners globally where we connect, connect directly into them and that wow. includes over 3 billion wallets. Wow. And if you want to send money to your wallets, you want to know that your friend, family or, or a supplier has got the money instantly. Yeah. And if, if it's on the supplier side, if you get your money quickly, you can release the goods. So you can get the, the goods quicker. Um, and so it, it really is a, a significant economic driver uh, in, in that, from a, a speed perspective. Transparency, again, similarly in the, the current ecosystem, you don't really know how much you pay upfront. You don't really know when the individual's got the money or getting the money. And when it gets stuck, it's very difficult to find yeah. where the money is stuck. Because yes. you know, yeah. you've got a number of different correspondents 
involved. And, it, and it's, it's a very costly exercise to figure out where that, that money is. Uh, so transparency is, is one thing we're solving. Uh, and similarly to the point I'd say, if, if we can send money instantly, we're telling people up front what it's costing, yeah. and we're telling them the money's gone or has arrived. So Fantastic. I think that's a significant oh, that piece. That a lot. It does. And, a lot and I think the last point is cost. And, and I think the reason we can significantly reduce cost, and it, it, particularly in the remittance space, you know, obviously World Bank is a stated uh, mandate wants to bring down cost to about three, three odd percent. And Chins is one of those solving that issue. And the Fantastic. reason we can do it is we're taking out the middleman. You know, we yeah. have those 250 partners globally where we have direct connections. So we don't need too many participants because if there's too many participants, everybody it's wants cost. to share. Exactly. And so I think those are the three key things that Chuns is solving today. Fantastic. Thank you for that. What about you? Yeah, I would just uh, try to broaden the definition of a payment. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what Tunes does is actually like making a payment, but it's actually the payment journey starts before when there is some event that leads to payment. And I think one of the key friction points we see is that sometimes this event that leads to a payment is completely disconnected from a payment, aka you get an invoice into your email, mm -hmm. and then you literally have to yeah. copy this IBAN yes. and paste it in your bank exactly. account, and then all these pains start coming up. Yeah. And so one of the biggest pains we see is that payments need to probably be ideally in the same place as this event happens. It mm -hmm. needs to be frictionless, how you initiate the payments, mm -hmm. how you can actually reconcile the payment once it's done. And yeah. ideally, all of this just kind of works as one system versus today you have like a document in an email <laughs> and then a payment in a bank, and then you have to somehow manually reconcile it in your accounting software. And so what Monite is doing to solve that is, is really putting it all in one place and you know integrating with providers like Tunes to actually power payments, but connect this whole thing to the document flow and then feed all of this data into accounting automatically. So that's Fantastic. one. And then the second one is I think there is still quite a lot of kind of pain and friction in B2B payments in general yep. that have to do with compliance and covering specific cases. For instance, mm -hmm. like one of the cases we're exploring right now, especially for the US, is paying bills with a credit card because people have a card and a large credit limit. They can pay any software online they want, but they can't pay their marketing agency with this credit card. Now, if you want to do this, compliance requirements and the complexity of just using this existing credit facility to do card to account and then to account is extremely high. And so I think that the next wave of innovation we're going to see is just the real ease of use of existing financial products and facilities for businesses and for consumers. And currently, it's kind of split up. Like, yeah, I'm a credit card and I'm a payments provider and I'm actually a bank. And I think all of this, again, is actually one system. So I would love to see more consolidations happening across the sort of documents and payments, yeah. but also across the financing and like payment facilities and actual like account-to-account -account release. And I think just to maybe elaborate on the point, and that's where the, the current friction is around speed, is because of this, everything from compliance, it, transactions are reviewed manually many times, yeah. uh, transactions get rejected because of number of reasons from a compliance perspective. So what, what, what fintechs are doing is they adopting you know, machine learning AI so we can screen transactions in real time, which enables us to actually ensure that we can do deliver on the real time promise. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's, again, all that investment into frictionless borderless payments. And I think the other point to raise why Tunes or FinTech is solving these friction bodies. The point earlier around our band, Swift, 
big codes, in, individual normal consumer that supplier doesn't have that information. Where do I find it on my online banking or do oh, yeah, I call my banker everywhere. to get that oh, information? Gosh. So having connected to wallets solves a lot of that pain point because all you need is the name of the individual, the surname and their mobile number. And I think most of us can remember a mobile number. And so, and that's a simple, simple three things you need to send a payment to a mobile wallet. So I think, again, that'll reduce that friction, uh, enabling a, a lot more seamless payments. And there are actually two interesting examples here. So to your point about tracking payments, I mean, if you get a DHL parcel, I mean, you can see where it is, yeah. right? But when you get a payment, you most of the time actually can't see. There are a couple of providers like Wise or Revolut now that kind of enable this on the end user experience. And like, whenever people are asking like, where's my money? I'm like, hey, here's your link. Just, just check it out. You don't need to ask That's me. That's so cool. And then the second example is actually uh, in, in terms of cross-border. When we did cross-border in, in Pantan, we did it with Currency Cloud. We would have 15, 20% of payments returned because they wouldn't know what the payment is for and the compliance would flag it. And I always said, look guys, the payment should start with an invoice being submitted because they know what you're paying, then there's, there cannot be this question. And it's actually funny how it's, it's first you build these payments, but then only you take a step back and you say, hey, hold on a second, what are we actually paying? Yeah. And so I think this loop is starting to come back now and it's finally becoming more logical. Yeah. So, um before we go to one of your exciting announcements that has all to do with some of this, yes. I would like to see your view on the future, like in the next five years, um, what will be the most important impact of infrastructure partners? I think I'll just go back and, and, and reiterate. Uh, I think the biggest impact is going to be speed. speed. I think there's going to be an expectation yeah. that cross-border payments can't take two, three days to land. It has to be real-time or near real-time. Uh, I think uh, it has to be transparent uh, in the sense of, okay, I know what I'm paying. If it's a fixed fee, I know what foreign exchange rates have been yeah. applied. And I, I love the example around uh, WISE and others. or That's what Tunes is doing. You know, We are fueling the ability yeah. for them to create an experience for a consumer to say, this is what you've paid, this is where the money is, and it's expected to land in the next hour. Amazing. It's, it's all driven by Tunes. So I, I think that's the future. I, I, I think it's... Mm -hmm. It's speed, it's transparency, and ultimately, it's a, it's a, it's a lower cost. <laughs> so, can you tell us about one of your exciting partnerships? Yeah, so we, we've uh, announced uh, last October, uh, we've just signed an exciting partnership with Visa. Um, so again, it just shows you the strength of our, the network we've created. It's so a Visa, uh, as we all know, a very large institution. Uh, it offers uh, payments to accounts, payments to card, push, push to card, but they never really had the ability to push to wallet. So the partnership with Visa is they'll leverage the Chins network to send to our number of you know, 80 odd plus wallets globally, uh, 3 billion wallets that we have access to on our network. So I, I think that's, that's a very exciting partnership and we look forward to uh, working and deepening that relationship. And does that go live this month, or when does that go we're, live? We're pushing for uh, this quarter. This quarter, um, fantastic. Yeah, so that is very exciting. Very. Um, can you give some examples or use cases already of things that have been happening with clients that have reduced friction? Yeah, there's a number of, so we've helped uh, banks. There's a particular bank in, in the UAE. Um, again, it, 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 their clients were using other providers to, uh, this is a remittance use case. Yeah. Um, so they will use. Uh, they know that their clients, bank customers, were using other local providers to move money abroad, and they were going. Well, we're losing 
you know, revenue opportunity, we're not adding value to our clients. But the problem is they used the traditional corresponding network, uh, which was costly, as all the points I spoke of earlier, and so they couldn't actually make an economic business case to actually serve their clients yeah. uh, without you know, coming to a player like Tunes, which is obviously providing an alternative payment network. And so what we've effectively done, we've helped them create a user experience, effectively a, a different proposition to, to create stickiness with their existing client to help them move funds, uh, remittance flows, with more transparent and importantly at a lower cost. So I think it's, it's to help them actually create a new revenue source, but importantly it's bringing value to their, to their customers. What I'm loving is the link between UI, UX, making it easier for the end user and financial inclusion. Yeah. You know, really broadening that for a consumer, but also for a business. And if you could also give me an example of how you've decreased friction for one of your clients or the clients of one of your clients, would be great. Sure, happy to do that. I'm just, I just want to follow up here on, on one of your points. Actually, you know, a lot of this industry, especially banks, it's like things just work this way, like accepted. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like you send a payment on the Friday afternoon after 2 p.m. It's just not going to arrive till Monday. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think this industry is finally moving to what makes sense because like everyone knows it's bullshit it just it just doesn't work it's not good and finally it's starting to shift that you actually like have you know immediate payments and revolute seven days a week to some banks and i hope to see more of that happening with you guys but also with other providers i think it's just like you know the world is moving towards like an honest clear picture that we all know and we all see but it just hasn't happened before and coming to to your question about like how we re reduce friction i think for us it's like you can take one of the platforms we signed in the us you know they do a vertical SaaS for filmmakers and so these filmmakers they would like have a typical sme problem of like okay i have stuff flying around i have some bills in the mail some in the email i don't know how much i have to pay to whom etc we help this platform build the interface to actually collect all the incoming bills from suppliers for these filmmakers and also mm -hmm. send their invoices from a single platform so they have Fantastic. a real-time cash flow overview. And then whatever they do on a platform is automatically connected to payments. Like they send an invoice that has a payment link, it's paid by a payment link, we auto-reconcile a payment. They get all these invoices, they can release via ACH in one click. It's very, very simple. And while it sounds like a straightforward thing, unfortunately, most of these people don't have anything like this today. And then if you take more examples, it's kind of taking the existing experiences. Like, for example, we're talking to you know, a company called um, Dbyte in the UK. They just integrated our solution. They have the fastest integration, three weeks to go live. And actually, for them, it's like they already managed some of the SME financial life. But then each SME is complaining that like we don't have a full picture. So, and you need to bring the full picture to contextualize payments. And it's actually funny, you know, people love to pay late, uh, but they love to get paid early. And unless you have it all running in one system, it's actually very hard to know what's optimal for your business, because sometimes you do want to pay early in exchange for discounts. Sometimes you yeah, want exactly. to incentivize early payments to yourself. But unless you have this one system that runs it, it's very difficult. And so one of the things we're trying to push in the market is that anyone can be this one system without investing millions of dollars, as well as like you guys, anyone can send efficient payments without investing into like crazy infrastructure partnerships. And I think this financial inclusion to your point is starting to happen. I just hope that it happens faster and more people are just agile in terms of implementing it. Because sometimes you sign a big partner and then it takes a year to go live and you're like, guys, look, yes. yeah. let's that do it faster. Work.
So I've been very inspired by this conversation and excited for what we're going to see in the upcoming six months, year from both of you. Mm. Is there anything that we didn't mention that we forgot that you think we should say? And there may not be. We might have covered all. Yeah, I think I really want to touch on the point you made around uh, building, building an infrastructure uh, for some of our, it, it's 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 not easy building the no. network that we've done. Right? It's taken us a number of years. We've got those 130 odd countries we can pay out, number of partners. So I think the, the message that I would want to give to customers is it, consolidate, use individuals like us, and there's there's a number of people out there. Uh, it, it allows you to then invest in the UI or UX of the, of the yeah. customer. Look to onboard new clients and customers. And, and, and outsource the pain in terms of, uh, of cross-border payments. Um, yeah. And I think that's, to me, why Chuns is here, why Chuns is growing, why we have you know, significant investors uh, believing in us. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, obviously, testament to our Series C, uh, to me, that's, that's a big call-out. Um, I definitely want to second this. I think like too many people are trying to build the same stuff that exists. So the message is like, please stop building this. <laughs> yeah. Invest into stuff that is truly unique. Use providers who specialize. And it's always a trade-off. Like you're either all-in-one or you're best-in-class. But if you use providers like Tunes or Monite, you can be all-in-one and best-in-class. I, so I think it's, it's just really important for That's CEOs fantastic. to remember this. Uh, it's hard for people to be realistic. But I always say like, hey, do you see like build.com? It's a billion dollar company. You think you can easily build it, then there wouldn't be build.com. You think you can easily build tunes, look at the amount of funding they raise. So people need to be more realistic. But the second message is just like, don't be afraid to dream and share dreams. A lot of people talk about business, but let's also talk more about what future we want to see, about common sense things. Like, hey, I want to always know where my foreign transfer is at, like exactly where it's at. If everyone starts saying this, the buzz leads to investors and other key players saying like, look, it's got to happen. We all talk about technology, but we got to talk more about the dreams and a perfect state. And I really want to kind of amplify this message in the industry. Great point. Well, thank you. What a great show thank to have, you. you know, the future of what we want to see together with Tunes and Monite. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Very much welcome to the next step on your Breaking Banks Europe tour across Money 2020 Europe. I'm very happy to be here on the last session of Money 2020 to wrap things up together with Jana Dimitrova, CEO of OpenPaid. Very much welcome, Jana. John, thank you for having me and for having OpenPaid here with you. I'd like to think that we're saving uh, the, the best for last. For sure, for sure. I'm really happy to explore with you what OpenPaid is about, what you see happening here at the conference, what you're excited about, and hopefully engage uh, our listeners to really get a better understanding of what's happening in the market of banking as a service and embedded banking. So uh, keen to learn more about that. Great. Um, first of all, I must start by saying that this is probably the the best and, and, and busiest Money 2020 that we have seen over the last few years. We have been coming to Amsterdam for several years now. We have been exhibiting for several years, but I must say that this year we have seen great focus from everyone. Mm -hmm. People were definitely here to get things done, to do business. Um, and I'm particularly pleased to say that 
A lot of deals were closed over the last several days. People were in early already on the Monday prepared to, you know, jump straight into it and, yep. uh, and, and deliver results. So from that perspective, I'd like to thank everyone for, for, for the effort and the organizers at, at, at Money 2020 because it has been um, a, very, a very successful event. Now, jumping straight into OpenPaid mm -hmm. and Embedded yep. Finance. For those of our listeners that are not familiar with OpenPay just yet, we are a UK-based banking-as-a-service provider. We focus on delivering infrastructure for embedded finance, embedded payments, embedded payment accounts. We are a B2B provider. Uh, most of our customers are financial institutions, digital marketplaces, uh, uh, trading platforms, um, and... Uh, we really focus on how we can help businesses store value and, and move value in a more efficient way across across border. And I know that we all say this here on on the floor, but I'd be happy to get into into the into the nitty gritty a, a bit later on if that's of interest on how we. No, actually I, I, achieve I think it. it sure is. I think it sure is. I think definitely. Uh, I mean, uh, embedded finance has been on the on the on the agenda for quite a while already, and I think it's only becoming much more tangible, especially this year. Uh, so I'd love to learn a bit more what it actually means in, from your perspective and where you see also the, the market heading from here. Uh, but maybe, maybe first to start with that, all right? So you say uh, you work especially with business customers. What kind of customers are you especially uh, uh, interested in? What are sort of sort of the latest acquisitions uh, uh, that you can be proud of? Yeah, great. Thank you for that question. Actually, thinking about which one are we most proud of, I'd probably say in the last year um, that would be Crypto.com. Okay. That's a, a, a crypto trading platform I'm sure that many of our listeners would be familiar with. So mm -hmm. um, we're particularly proud of it for, for a few reasons. I think, first of all, we managed to uh, significantly improve the user experience of Crypto.com's European customers. And uh, we clearly see that on, on a number of blog posts yep. and, 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 and generally uh, the feedback that we that we get in, in the space. The reason why we're proud of it is, is because actually the circumstances in which we had to do the launch, a launch that was prepared mm -hmm. over a long period of time, but the circumstances in which we had to do the launch were quite extraordinary. So we actually managed to help Crypto.com improve the payment experience of their European customers by enabling them to issue individual named unique virtual IBANs to every single one of their European consumers. Yep. And um, when you think that uh, that number exceeds the million across Europe and uh, the fact that we had to do it over a weekend and we effectively managed to do that in less than 24 hours is, is quite impressive. And I think yeah, this is really sure. where the power of the technology and the infrastructure and the embedded finance comes in because it was literally a seamless transition for the European customer base. Uh, because of the way that our APIs, our platform integrates and our payment account is fully integrated into their existing UX and, 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 and general general experience. So thinking about, you know, proud moments, that was a, a very difficult moment for, for our teams, the technical teams, the operational teams, but extremely proud moment as well, because we, we proved that we can deliver, deliver at scale and, and not just, you know, the numbers, but then seeing all the, the feedback on the blog posts and, and the feedback from customers directly uh, has been exceptional. Yeah. I think that's quite an achievement. Uh, and, and so what, what actually made them make this turn, right? Because that seems like quite a big overhaul for, the, for, for them to actually change to your systems. 
Uh, what was driving their 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 need on that? To, to be honest, that 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 is something that they had been working on and planning for a while. I mean, like any any digital business, having redundancy in terms of your payment channels and payment partners is incredibly important. This is something that they had been working on for for a really really long time. It was just uh, external circumstances, slightly outside of ours, their controls that forced them to accelerate. Which is why I said we okay. had to do yeah. it over the weekend mm-hmm. and over one weekend and and get it done in literally less than 24 hours. Well, impressive, and so do you Thank actually you. see? I think I think you also take care of compliance uh, for all the facilities that you have around finance, and which could definitely also play a role in the crypto space, where compliance increasingly is also mm-hmm. uh, of importance. How do you deal with that? That's a very interesting question. I guess uh, probably the first uh, the first thing to say is it probably does help that I'm a lawyer myself. So I yeah. uh, I actually uh, am a lawyer by background. I have been in payments for more than 10 years, mostly as a lawyer. So I turned out uh, somehow to, uh, you know, be, be, be the person that runs the business. But I think for anyone that is in financial services, having that clear understanding of the regulatory boundaries that we operate in and mm-hmm. also a clear understanding of the regulatory framework of the customers that we service is absolutely critical. And actually what we have found on our journey is that very often to be able to close a deal, to close the sale, you must close the compliance regulatory aspect. And if you do not have that foundation, you're actually not able to lead the customer through the journey and make them choose the right setup and and, and the right framework. So I think for us that has been a great advantage um, equally, we also have to recognize that the cost of compliance is increasing. The pressures in the UK, as you have seen with the Dear CEO letters and, uh, you know, all, all, all requirements around consumer duty and safeguarding are only increasing. Yep. We're seeming, seeing very similar trends uh, uh, across Europe as well. So I think for financial institutions that are non-bank financial institutions, there is a big question mark around how do you keep up with the increasing pressures of compliance and equally being able to to offer a service and turn a profit. I, th- I think yeah. this is this is going to be a, a big challenge on a go-forward basis and perhaps also a, a question mark when we think about embedded finance now and the potential applications of embedded finance. Can we actually reconcile the two? Can we reconcile, you know, the drive for innovation and, and the drive to get to profitability with the ever-increasing cost of, of, of the regulatory scrutiny that underpins it? Yeah. Yeah, and I think I, I tend to always say as well that generally fintech is about solving legal problems with technology uh, to a certain extent, right? So. Absolutely. I think ultimately it is about building trust, right? Because, uh, you know, we can put a lot of marketing language around what we do, but ultimately we are handling something of value to people. And that comes with uh, a, a certain level of trust. So if you're not capable of building that relationship of trust, when it comes to safeguarding client assets and trust in the relationship that is responsible for the movements, uh, then I do not think that you can be successful in the space at all. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I think that's uh, and that, that's one of the bigger challenges. I think that's why everyone here is also talking about that. Is that you know the pressure is really feelable, and I think everyone's worried about that. What it's going to do because we're basically running out of people to take care of things. Technology needs to solve it uh, uh, to a large extent. Fair, fair point, but equally we, we must appreciate that behind the technology there are still human 
humans that have to make educated calls when it comes to calibrating transaction monitoring rules, for example, when it comes to uh, discounting uh, alerts on certain transactions. So I don't think that we would ever be in a position to completely eliminate, eliminate that. And I do not think that we should because being able to make educated risk-based decisions mm -hmm. is what makes the difference between keeping your license and losing your license between processing a successful transaction for your customer and and, and not in between ultimately uh, building a profitable line of business versus versus not. Because uh, again, if, if, if I think about the, the topic of our panel about, you know, breaking banks and, and, and how risk-based decisions are made within a large credit institution versus a smaller financial institution that... Um, that, that, that has a bit more agility, a bit more flexibility, we definitely see that this is an advantage in, yeah. in many situations. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree there. I think it's definitely something that we, we need to really balance out how the, the human factor and technology could go hand in hand to actually, uh, to actually fix this. Uh, and of course, we appreciate as well that we need that regulation to actually maintain as well a safe uh, environment to, to, to operate in as financial industry. Um, and so how do you see that? I mean, how does that work for your organization? I think there's a big drive for uh, banking as a service uh, solution. So where does the company stand at the moment? Uh, so we are, I guess, we see ourselves as a provider of uh, banking as, as a service. Um, all the, the services that we provide in terms of virtual IBANs, virtual payment accounts, access to faster payments, access to SEPA, access to the SWIFT network, embedded FX, all of this is microservice based and it's deliverable via API. So we can literally, through the flip of a switch, deliver equivalent level of service in a new jurisdiction, add new currencies. So from a, uh, you know, banking as a service perspective, we see that this is what the, the, the market expects and, and, yep. and requires. I think what is what is more interesting now is the next phase of development, which is the embedded finance piece that everyone is, is, is really talking about. And Frankly, Don, I believe that we're still in the very early stages of development. I think we're just out of that phase where both the regulatory developments have been um, sufficient enough to allow businesses to start thinking in that direction and the technological standardization. So the two pieces, regulation and technology, the base is there. But when we think about the I guess, real applications, I believe that we're still in uh, the, 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 the very early phase. I don't think that we have seen that real innovation that perhaps people expect out of, out of embedded finance. And um, I think the reason for this is twofold. On the one hand, uh, perhaps there was a, a the push really started about 24 months ago around embedded finance, but at the time it was more of a you know this is the new cool thing. This is yeah, yeah. you know uh, you have to have it because everyone is talking about it. But there was no real sense of how are we actually going to build an embedded financial mm -hmm. proposition and actually generate revenue out yeah. of it. Uh, whereas with the change in the macro environment over the last 14 months, there is very clear pressure now on every executive to deliver a result and deliver exactly. return on investment. No dreaming, just doing, yeah. Exactly. So now we see, uh, as I call it, I think people have sobered up a little bit over the last year and we see a lot more focus on if we implement a payment account, for example, within our existing ecosystem, 
can we actually monetize it? How can we drive the adoption and what return are we going to get? And some people are getting to very, very quickly to a clear answer. Yes, we can and we absolutely should do it. Yep. And then comes the second question, which is how should we do it? Because the, 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 the obvious way is, okay, we're going to build it organically, apply for our own license, build ourselves the technology, but that requires an awful lot of time and investment. So people now are... I guess, far more focused on identifying what sits behind the marketing, what I call the marketing fluff, mm -hmm. frankly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. what sits under the hood, both in terms of regulatory capabilities as well as technical capabilities, because people now understand that time to market is critical and partnering with the right infrastructure provider could make or break their balance sheet. Uh, I totally agree. I think that that's uh, uh, it's quite a challenging place where you see that uh, if the regulated entities also get pushed away from the place where the customer is and are less in touch actually with the ones using the products, uh, that's a really challenging environment given also indeed the pressure that there is on understanding actually who is using your product for what at the same time. Yeah. You know, that's that's actually a very interesting point you're making there simply because I think embedded finance ultimately means that from the consumer's perspective, the lines are blurred. Ultimately, yeah. what we're trying to achieve with embedded finance is a seamless journey in the eyes of the customer and delivery of a service from a brand that the customer trusts. Yeah. So in reality, most of us that are sitting here in Amsterdam at Money 2020, the customer, the end user of the product or the service doesn't really know that we exist. And yep. that, 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 that should be the case. Yep. But that raises a very interesting question from a regulatory perspective and from, from a pure liability perspective. Exactly. If I, as a user, am getting my life insurance or my mortgage through TikTok or an equivalent platform, mm -hmm. right, who is responsible for it? So who is, who is the one that will be held to account to keep my money safe? And um, going back to the point earlier that we haven't yet seen enough new applications and enough innovation in the space, I think as we start seeing some of those models emerging, we'll also start seeing some of the risks around it. And, yeah. and I fear that actually regulators will be, again, having to catch up because this, this, this will become a, and, and is a gray area. No, I, t I totally agree. And I think it's it's interesting because there is, I think, a genuine push from the markets, uh, consumers to, in in the end, only see finance very often just as a feature. It's it's not a product by itself very often because it's actually a means to get to an end and not a goal itself. Until something goes wrong. Uh, true, true. Uh, but it's actually more about the service rather than the, the financial product itself very often. Uh, and so I think that's an interesting challenge. So I think the demand is there, but indeed, how do we actually get to that point that it get delivered in a way that customers do understand what to expect of those services. I uh, think ultimately something we'll, we'll have to give because we can't talk about full integration, fully embedding something in, in an existing user experience, but equally having the customer assume that there is someone else in the background providing it. So the question is, what is the best interest of the customer? Is mm -hmm. it to have that full, fully integrated, seamless experience or is it perhaps having some red flags and checks and balances at the right times of the user journey 
uh, that would allow them to make an educated decision and that would also give them sufficient information to take recourse if and when required. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. Uh, but I think it's also one of the reasons behind the, the fact that we've seen relatively simple products only being embedded as in sort of simple short-term insurance or, uh, uh, let's say, pay-in installments kind of products, which are sort of the most familiar topics I think that people would know. Uh, what, what is your expectation there? Do you, have you seen already some examples of things that you say, okay, we could be exploring that where, that side, that's where we see some growth or yeah. at least some experiments? I mean, uh, first, for example, what OpenPay do is, is, I guess, a fully embedded payment account, right? So if I take the crypto.com example or what we do with eToro is, is, is mm-hmm. very similar, yep. I guess... Um, from, 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 from the viewpoint of those platforms, for them embedding a payment account and being seen as a brand to deliver a payment account, a virtual IBAN, although we know in the background it's a virtual mm-hmm. virtual yeah. account, the user doesn't necessarily do. But for them, it's, it's really the first step of increasing the stickiness with their customer, of building a stronger relationship with that customer. And if you think five, ten years out, perhaps it is actually the first step of them becoming the bank for mm-hmm. for that customer. So yes, today we as a business are starting by offering a virtual IBAN, a fully embedded payment account. But if you think where the ultimate value lies, perhaps one would argue that the next phase will be the next phase will be um, uh, providing traditional, more traditional banking products and services, life insurance, mortgage, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So uh, again, I think we're, we're starting still uh, uh, relatively slowly, but we cannot ignore the fact that uh, the next generation is getting all of their content through uh, digital streaming. And therefore, the expectation is that when it comes to financial services in five years, they will be feeling very comfortable to get them from the same sources of of truth or perceived sources of truth. Exactly. I think that's actually quite exciting if you think about it, because that would actually mean that sort of the, 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 the front end layer of financial services could move to any of the industries you'd be working with, for example, uh, because you could actually move the full capabilities to actually be the provider of financial services to anyone who has the relationship with the customer. Absolutely, 100%. And it's it's interesting you say this because last week, actually, I was uh, attending a a different forum and uh, had the opportunity to have a, a public debate, so to speak, with a very senior executive of one of the largest European banks. And the argument was around, you know, the future of banks and the future of of, of fintechs. And um, I guess I felt compelled to raise the point that for a generation that is raised with TikTok, we absolutely, and when I say we, both banks and fintechs, we absolutely cannot assume that they would want to go to a physical branch to purchase a highly structured, highly regulated product in our eyes, which is a mortgage, as an example. Mm -hmm. So the point I'm making there is perhaps it is not as relevant today, but for the next generation in five years from now, we can absolutely be certain that life insurance and, and mortgages will be distributed through I guess, social media. Yep. And therefore, we all, both fintechs, infrastructure providers, banks, we all need to work in that direction because it is just a, a massive cultural shift. But it, uh, I think it also means that we would actually have to make sure that conditions of these products are actually to be summed up in five bullet points or less. 
uh, to actually make sense in that kind of world. Because actually, you know, pages and pages of contracts, as we're currently seeing in the in the financial industry, are just not applicable in that kind of setting. Uh, no, absolutely not. When you think about, I guess, the average attention span of uh, being six, seven seconds of a of a thirteen year old. Well, me too, as well. As well as, yeah. <laughs> After three days here, you're probably <laughs> right. I think for for everyone, but um, to 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 have that expectation would be would be unrealistic. So, um, but equally. Um, is it a challenge just for the lawyers? You know, it's 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 a big question mark. I think it's a process. I think it will be an evolving process. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I think so too. But it's also it's really about managing expectations, right? So uh, just like the fact that, for example, data sharing is also really complex if you look at it from a legal perspective. Uh, but if we manage expectations correctly, people will at least know what they get themselves into. I think you have a more optimistic view on that uh, than, than than myself. For the um, average user of mobile devices, mobile apps, uh, managing that expectation is incredibly difficult because I do not genuinely believe that there is even a basic understanding of of, of how data is being collected or how data is being used. I think when, when we look around within the industry, yes, of course, I think we have way above the average in terms of educated users and recipients mm-hmm. of those services. Uh, but 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 otherwise, I think uh, an awful lot of people still do not recognize that they are actually the product themselves. Yeah. And therefore, a, yeah. managing the expectation, managing the, 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 the liability around it is, is incredibly difficult. No, I, I totally agree. I think it's also on sort of that, that the expectations about data sharing or data use should be a, such a standard and also, for example, not being regulated just for the financial industry separately because that creates different worlds which are understandable. But just like everyone who gets into a car doesn't actually understand how an engine works, uh, we should be able to regulate it to the point that they at least have a, can have trust in the system. You know, that's that's one way to think about it. The other way is in the same way that you actually uh, educate someone how to drive a car. Perhaps we need to go back to the early years and think about education. Because I think the one very big piece that is missing today in um, any educational system, frankly, and, and, and I'm happy to you know stand corrected there, is, is, is uh, usage of new technologies, uh, financial literacy, yeah. and, and also how our personal and financial and, and other data is, is being used. So perhaps thinking about bringing this into the curriculums very early on so that the generation that is now being raised with all of that technology and opportunities around yeah. actually has enough substance when, when it comes to the infrastructure that sits behind it, the regulation as well as, as, well as the risks. Yeah. I totally agree there. I think that that generally most educational systems are slightly behind on these developments and that poses a risk for people not really understanding the world around them properly as most of this life is now also happening in the digital world. Um, So lots of challenges ahead also from a societal perspective, but uh, you're not going to solve them all probably, uh, Ayana. Probably (laughs) not at money 2020 this year. No, absolutely not. But it's great that we're talking about them because I think it's good to raise awareness in any case. Um, But also a little bit back towards open paid. I'm really curious as well what what you see happening from here uh, going forward, right? So I think... I mean, it's a challenging environment still. Uh, venture capital is uh, pretty pretty hard to find these days. Valuations are low. Uh, but I think you're on a good side uh, on actually growing from here. Tell uh, us a bit uh, about your ambition. Uh, absolutely. So I think, first of all, 
we're probably one of the, the few companies here on the floor that do not have institutional backing, institutional capital. Um, we take a lot of pride of now having managed to get the company to a profitable position, cash flow positive uh, as, of, as of this month. So great milestone for, nice. for the entire team. The result of an awful lot of hard work and, and focus and, and focus as, as one team. So um, something to be really proud of, proud of there. Now thinking about the future and, and, and the vision and the ambition, for us really the ambition is to follow the journey and the growth of our customers and being able to be some of the drivers of, of that growth. So what we see in the marketplace right now is the demand for global rail agnostic infrastructure. In other words, our customers and their underlying customers, they don't really care about how value is being stored or moved around, whether mm -hmm. it is yeah. a bank rail, a card rail, or ultimately the blockchain. So yeah. for us, having the um, opportunity to deliver that global infrastructure that is rails agnostic so that we can underpin the growth of our customers is 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 what we aspire to and is what we're working very tirelessly towards. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's quite a, quite a nice journey to 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 look at what uh, what you're going and uh, going into. And so, what do you see? I mean, I think you can be really proud to actually get your team up to profitability, but that's not that that won't be easy, right? No, that's not not not, not has been easy at all. Uh, we had to, you know, make some some very difficult choices last year because we were on a growth trajectory, obviously as as everyone else. Uh, so we had to make difficult decision to scale back on some strategic projects, some M&A projects, geographical expansion, and really focus on what some call the not so sexy work, but the here and the now, the the, 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 the sale, getting very close to the customer, understanding what the customer needs here and now, and what is the customer prepared to pay for here and now. So a lot of hard work, but um, we have seen that 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 focus and focus on industries that are able to you know move very quickly and and have a short path to to, to revenue has been the right choice uh, although you know scrutinized perhaps 12 18 months ago uh, we have seen many you know many players in the space actually try to conquer the world try to you know build very sexy use cases so to speak but yeah. without without the fundamentals being in place without the any clear path to profitability we've taken a, a drastic the, the, the very radically different view to that. We said we know how to manage risk, what people may perceive as, as perceive as risk. We're going to focus on being the best at doing that. Yeah. And we know that we can get to profitability in 12 months down the line we're here. Yeah. So we stand behind our choices. Yeah, well, I think a wise choice. I mean, a lot of bluff has been called, I think, for the ones that were perhaps focused too much on growth and, and the marketing game, uh, which led to some consolidation and some some pretty pretty uh, heavy cases. But um, it's good to see in any case that you're you're doing so well and uh, nice that you're, uh, I mean, to a large extent, everything that's going on around it, no matter how flashy the booths look, it's pretty boring uh, what they're all up to uh, uh, because most customers actually just want to get it done. Exactly. And I think, uh, if I may, I'd like to use the opportunity of the forum here to, to say a big thank you to the team because it is a, it is a team win. Um, it's been an incredibly difficult year for everyone, but we've managed to keep our heads down and, and get things done. And uh, as you say, we don't really often see the hard work behind the flashy stands, but it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, a lot of trust on behind, on behalf of the team in, in some of the decisions, some unpopular decisions. So I'm, I'm very grateful and, and, 
very proud to be in the position to to be able to represent a, a team that is that is exceptional. Yeah, super, really great. And thank you for sharing that as well, Jana. I think that's uh, quite extraordinary as well. I mean, you don't always get to hear so much of what's going on behind the company. Uh, and so I think it's nice to see how, how honest you've been with us uh, today. Um, thank you, Don. Thank you for having me and, and OpenPaid as well. Yeah, looking forward to hearing more about OpenPaid over the coming period. Perhaps seeing you again next year to uh, to continue our conversation. Uh, and for now, I hope you really uh, can look back at a, at a successful conference uh, and, uh, and much luck with the company. Thank you very much. And we're certainly looking forward to Money 2020 next year. Thank you. Great. Thank you. And thank you all listeners for listening again to Breaking Banks Europe. This was Don Ginsel from Holland Fintech. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.